I'm Cherokee. I just wanted my children to know, my grandchildren, because if I had known when I was raising my children what we was going to go through now, I would have taught them the Cherokee language. But you know, we lived in an English world. Cherokee was not important, but it is. That's Kathy Sierra, who teaches Cherokee and is a director of the Cherokee National Youth Choir in Oklahoma. Our children should have the ability to learn our heritage language. It is an inherent right more than anything else that we have. It belongs to us and it is important. It's who we are and without it, we're just everybody else. That's Renissa McLaughlin, the Director of Youth and Adult Education for the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Indians in North Carolina. She also has another name, Todzua, her Cherokee name, which means Redbird. Cherokee language is American culture, it's Native American culture, and it's a part of all of us who live here on this continent, part of all of our story. And to not know that is to not know who we are even as non-Native people. I'm Sarah, Sarah Snyder. I'm the director of the Cherokee Language Program at Western Carolina University. I'm not a native person. All three of these women, Sarah, Renessa, and Kathy, are dedicated to keeping the Cherokee language alive. But is it too late? I'm Steve Levine, the host of America the Bilingual, which reports on bilingualism in America. Joining me is Mim Harrison, the editorial and brand director of the America the Bilingual Project. You know, Steve, one of the interesting things I, I learned a few years ago was that Cherokee has a written language, but it does not use an alphabet. It uses something different. Something I'd never heard of, a syllabary. And a syllabary is what? It's a series of symbols, and every symbol represents a syllable rather than a single letter. A Cherokee named Sequoia developed the syllabary in the early 1800s, and the fact that Cherokee then became a written language as well as a spoken one has played a part in its preservation. This summer, with my wife Lori and our dog Chet, we drove to the western North Carolina town of Cherokee to see the Cherokee dual-language school called the New Kitawa Academy. Oh, I forget my words now, but... We visited during a special time when Cherokee teachers from the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma were meeting with teachers from the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Indians. Anne-Marie Gunter of the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction set up our visit. There are other, of course, Native American languages that have been lost. And there was a time that they thought Cherokee would be as well, but the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Indians, uh, they're actually an independent nation. They, um, through their work with casinos and other investments, and they have worked very hard to take their, their profits and their proceeds and reinvest that in their children to help revitalize Cherokee. It's a race against time. Renessa told me that in 2004, there were maybe 500 native speakers still alive in North Carolina. Today, there are fewer than 200. 
There is no one that is a first language Cherokee speaker that is in childbearing age. So none of the parents here, myself including, have Cherokee language as their first language. But even though Renissa didn't learn Cherokee in grade school, her son is learning it. And although Kathy Sierra's children didn't learn Cherokee in school, her grandchildren are. It's a learned Cherokee because it's not a fluent, flowing language once it's learned. Um, As opposed to just growing up with it. Yes. My mother says, that's not how you speak Cherokee. And I say, Mama, it is Cherokee. It's different. That's just the way it's going to be. It's because they have to learn it that way. Some of the grandparents are surprised that they can talk with the youngest members of their community. When Renessa's son started to speak in Cherokee to a gentleman who was one of the elders, he became emotional. The first time I've heard a child speak Cherokee in 50 years. And I was like, Renissa will tell you that even though she does speak some Cherokee now, her son speaks it better with his grandmother, Renissa's mother, than she does. No, I can't keep up with it. Well, I'm just envious. I would have to be a really selfish person if I were to be anything but happy about it. Renissa's mother is Myrtle Driver. Her name is now connected to a certain book that many of us know. That's right, Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. Myrtle made a Cherokee translation of this beloved children's story. You can see a photo of the Cherokee version in our episode notes. And that brings us back to Sequoia and that syllabary and why it's so important. As Kathy says, We want everyone to remember that the Cherokees have a written language that you can learn to read and write from. Even if you don't know a fluent speaker, there's still a way to learn it. Music is another way that the Cherokee language is being preserved. Kathy used the melody from Yankee Doodle Dandy to tell the story of Sequoia. Sarah Snyder also became interested in how music can help preserve endangered languages. Music can be like a mnemonic device where you can remember lists of things and you can also sometimes remember grammatical features. I asked Sarah to sing me an example, so she took the melody of Skip to My Lou. It's beautiful to my ears, not even knowing Cherokee. What's great about this little tune is it teaches you how to count animate things. It starts out with saying there's on the river, it is swimming, a singular thing. And then it says one duck. And then in the second verse, it says on the river, they are swimming two of them ducks, and it puts a count marker in there. So if you learn this song, you can help use that to remember how to account living things. Do you count inanimate things differently? Yes, you would, you would use a different word. At the beginning of this episode, you heard Renessa say that learning their heritage language was a right for Cherokee children. She was answering a particular question I had asked her. I hope you don't mind me asking kind of stupid questions. Why should kids 
become bilingual in Cherokee, would they could become bilingual in Mandarin Chinese, and, and wouldn't that be more useful? But that's not who we are. I'm not Mandarin Chinese. I'm not Spanish. I'm not French. Our children should have the ability to learn our heritage language. It is an inherent right. I'm a Cherokee person. Why wouldn't I want to learn my heritage <laughs> language? It doesn't make sense to you, huh? The gentleman you heard at the end of that conversation is Hartwell Francis, another champion of Cherokee that you'll meet in the notes for this episode. I came away from our visit to North Carolina with a good feeling about what a small group of teachers and advocates are doing to revive the Cherokee language. But the linguist, John McWhorter, says when people begin talking about saving a language, it may already be too late to save all of the original complexity. Yes, but saving some is so much better than saving none. Language is such an essential part of a people's culture. And as Kathy pointed out, the learned Cherokee is different, but it's still Cherokee. And as Renessa said, so long as there are speakers of Cherokee, there are opportunities for teaching it. If you have something within yourself, it's not even a character trait or a tick, but it's a part of your being, and you were told that you couldn't be that, and now you can? Wow, how awesome is that? The America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by Mim Harrison. Our producer is Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. Our associate producer is Becky Rankin. Graphic arts are created by Carlos Plaza Design Studio. Be sure to check out our write-up of this episode on americathebilingual.com for more on the Cherokee and their language. Support for the America the Bilingual Project comes from the Levenger Foundation. Music in this episode, Quasi-Motion by Kevin McLeod, was used with a Creative Commons attribution license. Our thanks to Epidemic Sound for helping us make beautiful music together. Keep connected on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.